Hi, welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is The Other Thing I Do. My guest this week is Frederick Bobot, a producer and cinematographer whose credits include Land of Destiny, Kosher Love, and the Oscar-winning short documentary The Lady in Number 6, Music Saved My Life. He moved into dramatic features last year with Boost, writer-director Darren Curtis's thriller about two Montreal high school students who steal a car and wind up in a world of trouble. It was nominated for five Canadian Screen Awards, with star Nabil Rajo winning Best Performance by an Actor in a Leading Role just last March. Frederick picked JFK, Oliver Stone's 1991 opus about the assassination of John F. Kennedy, as examined by New Orleans District Attorney Jim Garrison a few years later. It's a feverish labyrinth of interlocking conspiracy in which every revelation leads to two more mysteries— Riding high after winning his second Best Director Oscar for Born on the Fourth of July, Stone convinced Warner Brothers to let him shoot the works on this one, putting Kevin Costner at the center of what might be the most impressive cast for an American feature film of that era. The result was controversial, divisive, and impossible to ignore. Nominated for eight Oscars, including Best Picture and Best Director, JFK won two for Robert Richardson's cinematography and Joe Hutching and Pietro Scalia's editing, and remains the go-to example for ambitious conspiracy cinema. Whether you believe it or not, it's up to you. This is someone else's movie. I think I chose JFK because uh, whenever I'm sick, I watch JFK. Okay. And I probably watched it like 25 times. Like It's like, you know, when I didn't have cable, I didn't have anything. Like, you get home at one in the morning after a party and you're going to watch something, I'd watch JFK. It's just like it's one of these things that, for some reason, I mean, I guess being a documentary, primarily a documentary maker, I, mm. I like the, the history. I'm, I'm a big history fan and politics fan. Okay. And sort of yeah. like... And the way that he played with it, the actors, and I'm also, in a weird way, a Kevin Costner fan. It's okay to be a Kevin. I mean, it's weird, right? Because he's always. We'll get to the appropriateness of JFK as comfort food in a minute, but the the thing about Costner, yeah, I never understood why people don't. Well, it's not that they don't like him. I think everybody likes Kevin Costner, and everybody feels like they shouldn't. Yeah, There's a friend of mine weird... would introduce me. He'd say, "This is Fred, and he likes Kevin Costner movies." And I was like. Yeah, I don't know what to tell you. That's fair. <laughs> I mean, like, I've met Kevin Costner. He's a nice guy. Yeah. He seems... He's really earnest. And there was that wave of, of movies he made where he was the most upstanding person. He's basically he's like a rival for Tom Hanks for a little while. Yeah. Like, America's cinematic yeah. embodiment of good. Yeah. And somehow people turned on him because he wasn't all the way Tom Hanks. Yeah. I could have easily chosen Dances of the Wolves. Oh, uh, nice. I used to have it on VHS. And no cable, and it just sort of played on the loop. Okay. So I'd get home and just keep playing wherever I was. <laughs> I used to joke that I, I I didn't read the subtitles anymore. I just, just I, I understood the uh, the native language. Yeah, I, I could totally see that. The um, the 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 thing about JFK. Okay, so how is JFK comfort food? I mean, what about it soothes you, or or makes you comfortable? I mean, I mean why put on a three hour movie and I watched, come home from a party yeah. at one o'clock? Well, because you could just watch a little. You know it, so you don't need to watch it to the end. Okay. Um, I watched it again. I didn't watch. It. I, I truthfully hadn't watched it in a couple of years, at least. And there's so many scenes that just give me goosebumps. And I mean, I guess I get sucked into the American. I think Oliver Stone's. Also, Platoon is one that I watch a lot too. So Oliver Stone probably has just. And I don't like all of his movies, but those two in particular have a uh, a really nice. They're very patriotic. They really, you know, hit you at at the little emotional parts of you that 
that make the the speech with uh, Donald Sutherland. What he gives him, it's, oh, yeah, it's that, like bone chilling. His speech at the end Mr. X. about you know what America can be or what it could have been or all these things that happen, and it just makes you think about. In a way, I feel like it just makes you think about the importance of politics, of history, of how things could have been. I like the those what if questions, uh, historical what if questions. Yeah. So. So it plays with all that, and, and, and the way he plays with documentary footage, he mixes it. And it, I also realized that it's completely distorted my own view of the JFK situation. Well, I was about to say, yeah, it's, um, what, when, how old were you when you first saw it? What was your first experience of it? I saw it at the theater in okay. whatever, 1991. I was, uh, I was 16. Okay. And I already liked Kevin Costner movies, so I went to see it, and, uh, I mean, I think it's affected me more as I learned more. I knew nothing. I was yeah. a 16-year-old. I didn't was, know anything about politics, per se. What was your frame of reference for, so, for Kennedy? I mean, had you seen the Zapruder film? Or, or no, 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 no. I think that was probably... in ret- I mean, I knew who John F. Kennedy was. I'd heard little bits and pieces, but I didn't come from a very political family. So it uh, is probably... It became the imprint of the Kennedy story to me. Right, yeah. And yeah. I actually, in... Knowing I was coming to speak about this, I started to read a few articles and look at a few debates that took place. I don't know the extent to which I actually know the Kennedy story, the, the assassination story. What's yeah. true, what's not true. Well, and that was, or what people believe to be true, what the officials, you know, beyond. Yeah, that was a big deal at the time because, I mean, I remember uh, at least a couple of, of reviews of the film and, and certainly endless op-ed pieces right around that time were saying that uh, Stone was being incredibly irresponsible yeah, yeah. by introducing these stories into the narrative and, and you know in 20 years people will come away thinking this is what happened sure which and is it's true I think it's true in retrospect it's weird because it's affected right? me yeah. and it is weird but at the same time I don't know I mean it makes people if anything think a little for maybe go deeper into these things I mean as someone who I mean I make documentaries I don't really make political documentaries but Often you can't touch, you can't cover everything in a story. So you hope that by planting a few provocative seeds, maybe people will go off. And, and I'm yeah. sure a lot of people did go off after that and look deeper into it and find out that a lot of it was wrong. But they probably went and found out a lot more than they thought they already knew. So yeah. I mean, I assume, and this was before the internet too, really yeah. was a thing. So people. I could see people coming away with it thinking that this was the one truth, especially the way that Stone was, was yeah, yeah. humping it at the time. Yeah, it's convincing. And he makes a great argument. The, the thing about his movies, right in that period, that little window, kind of petered out after Nixon, I think. But he could convince you of anything while you were in the theater. Yeah. He could make this argument very, very eloquently and, and leave you believing what he said until you got back out into the light. And then, wait, that kind of contradicts this and how would this thing be possible and it it was this fever dream of information um, that no one had really tried to do before I mean maybe Godard in, in the 70s and 80s mm-hmm. and some of his more actively aggressively political treatises would throw information at you but he didn't make it entertaining and what Stone did the thing that he did that kind of make the medicine go down is that he made it really visually interesting and, and aggressively edited there would be things that you could enjoy while you were getting all these lectures sure. and he yeah he put the he put the data in the mouths of people like Sutherland and Costner and um, Tommy Lee Jones 
And John Candy. It's kind of great. Yeah, John cast. Candy. I know the cast is mind blowing. I just read an article the other, the other day because I was trying to read up a little bit about this. <laughs> and it said that John Candy, or wasn't it? It was like a little um, did you know kind of things. And John right. Candy apparently was sweating a lot in that scene, not on purpose, because he was so nervous that he was acting with such big actors Aww. that he was just sweating profusely and they, they played very well for the, uh, the scene. Yeah. Uh, everybody's kind of oily. In yeah, the courtroom scenes. Gary Oldman in his flashbacks looks mm. just, you know... Gary Oldman's amazing. melting. Yeah. Yeah. They're all amazing. It's it's one of those things where if one actor wasn't right, the whole thing would fall apart. And I'm, I'm amazed at Stone, who is not the most attentive of filmmakers in terms of actors. Like, he'll let people go and he'll let people do whatever they want. Somehow he got everybody on board with this one, that they're all hitting that right note of sort of panic and, and maybe Sissy Spacek is more grounded... Because she has to be. But beyond that, it's just everybody is on the verge of exploding all the time, which makes it exhausting at three hours yeah. in a theater. But I remember but it's, it's coming back and thinking, oh, no, that, yeah, there's a flow to it. And I never found it exhausting. I found it, like, riveting mm-hmm. throughout the way that he edits it. The music, it's John Williams who did the music. I didn't realize that until yeah. this week. <laughs> which is kind of weirdly, like, using a pig big his his inclinations against themselves because he's doing this big important patriotic score in a film that is moving like a rabbit on cocaine it's just yeah but it's it's a it's a marching score all mm-hmm. the time so it's like it's mar- it's it trucking along yeah. yeah it's really uh keeping and there's uh the woman who's in ladybird uh who's in roseanne the sister oh, Laurie Metcalf. metcalf is yeah. in it and newman from seinfeld yeah it's like it's a, it's amazing i mean i haven't done i've only done one fiction film but to bring in all these big cast members. These were big name actors oh, yeah, at the yeah. time. A lot of egos, a lot of things. And to use all that is pretty extraordinary. Yeah. Well, he was, I mean, he was white hot, Stone was, right? Because he just won the second Oscar for Born on the Fourth of July. Yeah. Before this. And Platoon and Salvador, he'd already sort of claimed that territory as the, the, the last word on America. And then announced yeah. he was going to make a film about the assassination of JFK and the investigation. And I think at the time, the reaction would have been similar to the reaction right now as Tarantino has announced that he's going to make a film dealing with Manson and Sharon Tate. It's like, oh, really? Oh, really? Ooh. Yeah, see? <laughs> exactly that. Yeah. And the first response is, oh, you, you shouldn't be talking about the real world. Well, um, or you should, I'm not sure, anyway. you know, that I would want Tarantino doing that. Film. I don't, yeah, I don't think it's going to. I mean, he likes too much blood. Yeah, it probably won't. It'll end up not being about that. It'll be peripheral right. or something. But but when Stone announced that he was going to make a film about the Kennedy assassination and that he was going to tell us the truth, because that was his big position, I mean, people did sort of wince. And then it came out, and I remember Warner was so aggressive about showing it to us and making sure, like they were trying to get out of the way or diffuse any potential speculation, and and you know, come and see this thing. This is big monster movie right. that we're blocking off all this time for, and. Yeah, it's not what we were afraid of, but it's also not what he said it was going to be. It's something else. Yeah, and I, I kind of find it funny that I loved his films until that one, including that one, but okay. I, I don't necessarily love the one since then. Huh? And I watched a bit of, um, what's it called on Netflix? The uh, Untold History of America? Oh, the documentary series, yeah. yeah. And it left me questioning everything he was saying. Like, I gotta go research this. I gotta go research this. That's all I kept saying. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's pretty, like, amazing stuff he's putting forward that stuff that I knew nothing about. Yeah. And I'm sure that's what his argument would be that he wants you to think about it and ask questions. But it's, 
it, I, I mean, I always get the sense that he's he's really happy to stick in a data point from something else just to make his case more ironclad. Uh, there's a moment in Nixon where he he recontextualizes something that Nixon said on the campaign trail and makes it look like he's saying it in some dark, smoky room. But now it's deadly serious. Or Alexander Haig yelling, I'm in charge here at, a, at another moment yeah. to echo what he did in the Reagan administration. And in JFK, he has Linda Johnson saying, you get me like the legacy of your wall. That's right. And obviously I know a lot more today than I did then, so watching <laughs> it... I'm like, oh, it takes, it takes like a bit of a PhD to go figure this film out. Yeah. And it isn't a documentary, so it's, it's complicated. I mean, you know, it has been a few years that I hadn't watched it, but this is the one I chose because I have watched it so many times. It still gave me chills, but I would certainly, you know, like to uh, have a bunch of books next to me as I was right. watching it. Yeah. Or go, I mean, it's, it's a lifetime of, of academic research you could do into this thing yeah yeah, yeah. So. The annotated version and didn't trump release the documents just a few months ago or he he signed that they would were, were to be the released commission yeah the, the, the find, not the findings but the actual yeah the source material i believe so but as far as i know no one can put anything shocking or, or we've have heard of it or they haven't been or they're, they're working their way through it or, or is it actually out i don't know they don't want us to know yeah <laughs> Um, the thing that I wanted to to ask though is the like when you first saw it, what was your um, how can I frame this? The, I, I mean, I wasn't a film buff when I mm-hmm. I didn't even have uh, a notion that I would get into the film industry back then, or 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 have this thought that I wanted to make a film or or anything like that. So I just watched it as a viewer who was just taken by the, the the romanticization of, of, of the the political discourse I mean right. uh, Jim Garrison's I, I guess I like the law stuff and, and you know I mean I think that's what just caught me it was uh, it it was a very it was like one impassioned speech after another yeah so, it's an interesting framing device too to, to not confront it directly and Illustrate it with flashbacks, which I think Stone immediately said were he was the flashbacks aren't supposed to represent reality; they're supposed to represent the, the images in Garrison's head when he's hearing something, or how the testimony is playing. So that's why they contradict each other. That sometimes you'll see something else because that's what someone's talking about, not necessarily because it's being projected as objective truth. And I always thought that was interesting that the idea of making the the assassination the um, the prize in a detective story that you know we're on an investigation along with this lead character who wasn't present isn't part of it and is reconstructing it that's like it's a classic storytelling trope but it's also a way of putting the the events at a safe distance visually because even when you're getting into the autopsies and, and things you're seeing like hearsay being brought to life you're not actually asked to follow the characters along and then suddenly watch them die and suffer yeah, and in retrospect, seeing it from the perspective of Jim Garrison instead of anyone else makes it that uh, you don't have to. You could just say, "Well, this is I'm telling you the story as per this guy." Right. So it's a nice way to save yourself some grief, I guess, to some degree, because you don't have to stand strongly on any position that you're taking. But uh, I think that was a smart way to tell. I mean, it's very emotional. It's telling it from from this one guy's 
perspective and uh, just remembering even Walter Matthau's in it and Jack Lemmon. Oh, the cast is phenomenal. And, and, and that's the other thing that the Garrison device gives you. You get a series of conversations uh, like a film noir or something where you just go from person to person to person and you can cram in as many colourful performances as you like. I mean, Pesci is doing something. Yeah, yeah, it's true to Pesci. He's never done before or since. Like the lack of uh, self-consciousness or, or even you know vanity that he puts into it. And he's good. He's yeah. really good. Yeah. But it's a weird character. I mean, the guy was a weird character. It's just everyone is giving over in the service of, of the larger truth that, that um, Stone is trying to get to. And I don't know that we ever get to it, but the search becomes more interesting. Like, yeah. I'd be cu- I mean, have you heard what some of the other actors have thought about? Everybody seems to say they had a good time. Yeah, uh, the the thing that I guess they're just acting. They're not. Their opinion is of no consequence to them when they're making it. Yeah. Oh, you mean but, what happened to Kennedy, or the or just about like the results? What the they were representing in in what they were putting forward in this film. I mean, do they have a, take a political stance on it? Or, I think everybody or, was really. I mean, the the tone at the time was that everybody was really excited to be part of it, but whether that was because it was an Oliver Stone epic or it was an interesting acting challenge, or the Kennedy story. Right. I don't know. I, I don't remember getting much of a sense of it, and I most of the research I've been doing now is re- it was reading reviews, so very few interviews. It's definitely Kevin Costner's best role, I think. Yeah. In terms of... What else did he do? Dances with, Dances with Wolves? He's pretty good at Dances with Wolves. I mean, I don't know. He's, well, No Way Out, The Untouchables, and like the early Bull oh, yeah, The Untouchables, that's the true. I forgot stuff. that. He's great in all Bull Durham, yeah, is awesome. But they are the reason he got cast in this. Like, he's perfect for this role. Uh, he's apparently much more interesting than Jim Garrison was as a person who was um, very quiet and extremely eccentric. Oh, yeah. But the, the spine that, that Costner brings to the role, the, that fortitude, the moral clarity that he brings to almost all of his characters, um, it really helps because he fixes the narrative for us as all this this increasingly impossible, improbable information is being thrown at him, we end up sort of falling behind him, like, okay, well, what do you believe? Because that's what I'll hang on to. Right. I, I watch Costner's face in those interviews yeah. and try to figure out what he's responding to because that makes more sense to me or it helps it make more sense to me. Yeah, and Garrison went on to be a judge. I think even when the film was made, he was still a judge. He was still around, yeah. So right. he's clearly not a whack job. Yeah, he was painted as one immediately because yeah. of bringing this. But case. he went on for to have a, a strong rest of his career. Was, yeah. So. And as we know now in America, when you speak out against things the way they are, you're immediately painted as crazy because that's the go-to. Like, right. That's the game plan. Yeah. To smear. He was one of the first ones, I guess, who really got pilloried by the establishment. Um, for doing something that they didn't think he should be doing. Yeah, that we can remember. I mean, in this yeah. that uh, untold history of America, there was the guy who ran against um, right after Roosevelt. It was uh, who's the president? Glasses, white hair. FDR. No, after him, it was uh, Truman. Truman. Yeah. Okay. So he ran against Truman. FDR wanted oh, this Dewey. other guy. No, not Dewey. Henry Wallace, who was Roosevelt's choice for president after him. So he was running, and I think he was doing pretty well, and then Roosevelt died quite suddenly, and they had to quickly nominate someone else. In this untold history of America, Oliver Stone goes through, one episode is based on this guy, Henry Wallace, and he was very left-leaning, and he wanted to really change things in America. 
and he was in the lead. And then the Democratic National Committee or whoever it was that was behind the scenes right. orchestrated Truman to come in. And apparently Truman was really looked down upon until he became president. Like he was not a uh, a uh, well respected politician. He was like they thought he was some like dum dum from the Midwest somewhere. Really? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I my understanding of him was always that he was just kind of wonky and didn't really, you know, he he, he wasn't a glowing personality or anything. Was, well, this is Oliver Stone's perspective. A good right? safe so. pick, but yeah, if there was somebody else who was discredited and he became safer, that makes sense. I mean, I also did a, a doc on uh, George Zimbel, who's a who's a photographer, American, who now lives in Canada, has since the 80s, and he did the photo of Marilyn Monroe with her dress up in the air. Oh, right, yeah. And he did a series on presidents, and he had a great deal of respect for uh, Harry Truman, so... And I like that guy. <laughs> I mean, I actually <laughs> met him a bunch of times, so so it's hard to, yeah. to know... Well, that's uh, the thing about Stone, right? Like, when he doesn't buy something, he makes sure you know it, and yeah. when he sells something, he's all in. Yeah. He's uh, very convincing. I, I met him on the Nixon junket and interviewed him. And it was one of those things where, you know, you spend 15 minutes in a room with him and you come out convinced of whatever it was he was telling you. And then five minutes later, he's like, well, wait a second. I don't know yeah. that that's exactly right. But he, yeah, he's he has, scary. He has the charisma and the confidence of somebody who can get you to do things. And that's, I'm sure that's how he gets his movies made. Like, that's how he gets people on board. He will sell it. Um, yeah. Nixon is a hugely problematic film that doesn't fully work, but the things that do work are clearly people trusting him and, and going with his vision. I didn't see Nixon. It's a mess. Yeah. But it's not bad. It is just, it's longer than it needs, like most of his films in the 90s, it's longer than it needs to be. It's relentlessly overproduced. Uh, he's doing stuff with editing that is dangerously close to being disorienting and off-putting rather than thrilling and, and the, what JFK does Nixon doesn't do mm-hmm. um, and in retrospect and as someone who makes documentaries mainly I I don't know that as much as I like JFK I would probably feel a, a strong responsibility to have to stick <laughs> to facts to facts as much as humanly possible or over explain <laughs> have some write in some character I don't know something or other because it's it is complicated to, yeah. to put forward a perspective on history that is going to be very influential because clearly it has been yeah to me yeah i mean if it hadn't i guess that's it right if it hadn't worked we wouldn't still be talking mm-hmm. about it. it would be a fiasco instead of what it is which comes really close to being a masterpiece here and there it's i don't know that it's his best film i, th- I think i still like salvador and platoon the cleaner sharper movies yeah. talk radio where you know, talk radio yeah everyone forgets about talk yeah. radio it's the one he made between platoon and uh born on the fourth Huh. It's just Eric Bogosian and Leslie Hope in a radio station, in a studio. It's based on a, on Bogosian's stage play. And it's slightly um, uh, compromised by the fact that Bogosian was sort of riffing on Allen Berg, who was this um, volatile shock jock DJ talk radio guy who was murdered by white supremacists. And he made the story... Uh, about someone else and then Stone once he got the rights decided he wanted it to be about Berg again so it ends with a little it oversteps a little bit it, it goes beyond this this really tight claustrophobic personal study to and then he was murdered for his views and that hits the hammer too hard but it shows him uh, it shows Stone controlling himself as a filmmaker in a way that he really hasn't done since hmm. and it's completely different and then you come back to Born on the Fourth and and 
JFK and there are these big elaborate historical recreations that are sort of in conversation with the audience about what it is they're doing and how they're doing it and they're, they're good they're really good but they're huge and talk radio is just this little nimble movie which is made I think it's made by a guy who is freaking out that he just won the Oscar and he doesn't know what to do Okay. after Platoon and then he sort of regrouped and came back to well no what I want to do is gargantuan historical stories I want to tell America what's wrong with them right. I mean talk radio is about that too but Born on the Fourth sort of makes this argument about the military-industrial complex destroying people as a matter of course, and no one caring for veterans when they come back. And then JFK goes back to the beginnings of that. And well, and he's a veteran himself. Yeah. So yeah. it comes from that perspective, for sure. Which, yeah. I guess, gives him the authority to say what he wants to say. It, I mean, it's interesting that he's choosing real factual events to retell and then distort rather than just making up a story that is a, a parable for that situation. Where, yeah. Like, you know, like uh, Apocalypse Now or something is a made-up story that sure, yeah. reflects all these things. So yeah, I mean, it makes it a bit easier to for the public to digest, I guess. Yeah. I think with, with Stone, he fixes on real events because that way they're harder to argue with. And not for him. He can He makes them his own, but that way you can say this really happened as though that makes it more um, this fictional version of it more important than a purely fictional story. I've never really understood that. The, the need to tell true American stories as opposed to, as you say, just coming up with a fictional framework that works. I mean, they're more powerful, but then if you're... Only if you get them right. Yeah, and what is right? I mean, they're right as per him, as per his research, mm-hmm. but we'll see. I guess time will tell, or when these papers come out, we'll find out. Yeah. I mean, that's... It's an exciting, it'll be an exciting time when those papers do come out, however many, however many hundreds of thousands of papers there are, so it'd be like the WikiLeaks. Yeah, you know, it's, well, it doesn't, I mean, the film ends with the promise that they'll be released, it's almost cynical, 2029. Right? they'll be released in 2029, yeah. and it's like, oh well, this great sense of us never really knowing, and, and I guess Stone, from his own calculations, he probably wouldn't be around in 2029, that's part of it right like they're waiting for everyone who's actually present to be dead and gone right, right and yeah trump doing it now and claiming that it's out of generosity or something just taking credit for it he'll tell people he solved the assassination i don't no, I that's don't, fine tell, tell us what you want just put it out there yeah yeah <laughs> but i don't know that, it'll, that this stuff can satisfy anybody right because there'll be so much conflicting testimony and so many different witnesses i mean that's what jfk is about right the movie mm-hmm. is about never knowing and, and pushing people to find out and act. I mean, just his final direct address to camera, it's up to you, is telling us that nothing, no narrative is going to solve this once and for all, that we have to figure out the truth for ourselves. Well, until or, or until, until those papers come out. Like do you if think it, there'll really be a cohesive answer? I mean, who knows? Who knows if... Could people handle, let's say, it was the CIA and whatnot who did it. Could people handle that even today? Yeah. Would it break down the entire fabric of... Maybe it's the time, because it seems like the fabric say, of American society is breaking down. Yeah, I was going to say, if it hasn't broken down by now, nothing's going to do it. I mean... But the revel... I mean, really, would it be would it be so shocking to find out that the government had lied to the people? Because now we're in a place where that happens literally all the time. Yeah. Um, I think it would still be shocking to a lot of people. Yeah. It would be the final blow. Because it's... I mean, it's huge potentially. Yeah. Huge if true, right? Like that's and it's being done. It's not. There's a bunch of 
conspiracy people that people perceive them to be conspiracy theories but things the American government has done around the world sure but within to kill its own president is pretty pretty uh, pretty out there yeah so what if it turns out to be the mafia what changes then what if it wasn't like a, co- a collaboration but it was simply the other aversion which is that the mafia took him out I mean if you discard the idea that Lee Harvey Oswald was acting alone um, which the movie seems to do pretty quickly and most people seem to do and I think even the American government has acknowledged then like in the movie toward the end it said in 1979 there was another uh, investigation of the whole thing and they concluded that he didn't act alone and that the CIA there was some CIA involvement in it but I think that's what it says in the in the, yeah, at the very end it's that thing where you keep thinking you know if that was I it just it feels to me that that's being dropped there because Stone couldn't prove it but believes it and because but it did it, actually happen this other investigation yeah they but did that's, come to other conclusions i also i'm sure he would have found a way to incorporate that information if he thought he could get away with it but the frame of the time the the period in which he sets the film maybe prevented him right. or he just wasn't confident enough i don't know i it's one of those things that's left so vague that you would th- this i guess what it is for me is like if that had really been that conclusive and, and in its proof we would ne- it would be part of the fabric of conversation about the fabric of American society but instead yeah. we're just in this place where it's like oh yeah the movie had that at the end it, it, well it could also just be that I think people don't want to know yeah I think there's a lot of truth to that people rather just be quiet like keep your head in the sand right and more so today than ever I mean the whole Trump thing mm-hmm. No, it's but people really don't want to know yeah. what Trump's doing. They don't care. Well, that's like, they're like right? I just can't, I can't they, deal with it anymore. See, I, just, I think it's worse. I think it's not that they don't want to know. I think it's that they don't care, as as you said. It's either people are hideously offended. I mean, I'm constantly, you know, I'm in a perpetual state of of exhaustion yeah. and well, exasperation. It's what we had here with Rob Ford from 2010 to right, 2014. Right. It's just like, oh Christ, now what? And it was always worse. And there was never a bottom, and there was no accountability, and it kept going on. And that's what we're watching America go through this on a on a grand scale, like a to a, a factor of ten with Trump, because he's actually capable of doing damage beyond yeah. his own reputation. But then his supporters don't just not care; they're on side, they're on board, mm-hmm. they like it, they think it's great. He's there's a, there's thirty percent of America right now that as long as it annoys someone else, they're fine with whatever he does. Yeah, and there's probably a 30% who just couldn't care less. Like, don't want to deal with it, don't vote, yeah. don't... I mean, it's a brave new world. Uh, Aldous Huxley's brave new world. Yeah. Oh, you mean the, the actual demographic, the people that simply aren't engaged yeah. in politics? I mean, that's what the book was kind of about, was people being entertained. Right, numb. And not numbed and not caring anymore, and that's what America is. It's on Prozac and... and uh, fentanyl <laughs> yeah, that doesn't sorry to be a downer at this point <laughs> but i think there's a lot of truth to that you know it's like that's what's happening to uh it's a sca- i don't know the last few times i've been to the u.s i find it a bit scary yeah yeah where do you go i mean i, I go to new york more often than not than yeah new york's else. a different place exactly yeah. a friend of mine describes it as an island off the coast of america yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's right that's i mean my brother lives in a small town in florida okay and uh but even i was in san francisco and l.a uh, in November, December, just uh, for, for shooting another film. Mm-hmm. It's just a dynamic that's weird. I, I, like, I feel more, a bit more nervous than I did in the past. It's really? just like, I feel like the, the, 
this the strata of like rich and poor has gotten so extreme and there's no in there's no in the middle yeah no, that's it's like true. everywhere you turn like i rented a hotel and then i get there and they're like oh there's a 30 dollar urban fee for each person i go oh okay fine and then we park the car yeah it's 65 dollars like oh okay <laughs> like right. everywhere you turn i just felt like i was getting screwed <laughs> stuff that's just prohibitive for regular people yeah like and it was it would it was kind of prohibitive for us but we had no choice and we could we had credit cards we you know do it but like how do regular people get along in this place yeah yeah i mean it's i mean new york's getting scary. more expensive by the hour yeah yeah uh and yeah, i mean even toronto's getting uh, sure and you're in this world or you're in the, the societally we're in this place now where the Everything that comes up, everything, like every new building, every new hotel, every new restaurant, you have to have people running it, and they can't afford to live in the city where it's mm-hmm. run. So, yeah, I mean, we're reaching a point now where we're sort of removing people without resources from the cities. And then, yeah, so then there's the, the, the cities no longer have those resources, those human resources, and then those people are on the outskirts, unemployed, mm-hmm. in many ways. Yeah. I mean, it's so. a complete deviation from what we were talking about no i mean i don't know that it is though right i mean if if you go back to the central argument of of garrison in his summation that it's all about fascism imposing itself on american government then this was potentially right this was the goal that it's not just distraction and chaos but actual factioning Mm -hmm. and and yeah and trump is the apex of that in many ways i mean he's there and he's in i mean i've to be honest, I'm one of those people who stopped reading everything because it just was making me lose my mind. But uh, it sounds like with all these cuts, I haven't looked deeply into the tax cuts and whatnot, but it sounds like he's enriching his friends. And, yeah, uh, I don't know. He's just, uh, the tax cuts are being used by corporations to give themselves bonuses and lay people off, and they're not trickling down. I mean, trickle-down economics was always a lie, but now it's just being demonstrated that the money is the money they're saving is not going back into the economy it's simply going into their own pockets and you know walmart gave people a thousand dollar bonus um as a gesture if you i think if they everyone no i think it was it was a certain subset people who've been there for 20 years or something like that and it's still a pittance compared to what they've actually taken out of this it's um yeah it's it's we no longer expect to have pensions or retirement People are going to be scurrying to keep up. Yeah, what's going to happen when all those people get uh, get old? Yeah, robots well, probably. Yeah, robots like rent, really rent of the hills. <laughs> but it, but there is a despairing in JFK for the idea of government as a as a positive force that you don't really see in a lot of his other movies. He'll he'll do indifference here and there. And Born on the Fourth of July is a movie about someone being lost in the system, but he's but the system is still presumed to be working JFK is sort of the beginning of the end of America yeah in Stone's perspective mm-hmm. and who's to say that that's actually true I mean the beginning of the end could have been when they dropped the atomic bomb sure could have been or other historical periods that I can't think of yeah <laughs> but well, I, I wonder if that's it for him that the JFK assassination is both totemic as a moment but also something he remembers personally well it's also ha- what affected his life most Sure. I mean, he went to Vietnam because of the assassination of JFK. That's probably a very direct link for him. And it's probably true. Uh, yeah. 
I'm not sure where to go with that. (laughs) (laughs) Now I'm trying to think about whether or not he's made other films that are as personal. I mean, there's material in Heaven and Earth that feels like he lived it. I haven't seen, like, Platoon and JFK are really two of my favorite movies ever. But And I I like war movies in general. But Mm. after... um, after JFK or Born of um, Natural Born Killers, I guess came after JFK. Right? Yeah. So after Nine that, four. what did he do? Uh, Friday Night Lights, Nixon. No, George Friday Night w. Lights was Peter Berg. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, you're thinking of oh you're thinking of Any Given Sunday. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Any Given Sunday. Right. right. Uh, Nixon. Any Given Sunday. U turn. U turn. W. That film with yeah. Josh Brolin as yeah. Bush. Yeah. Two thousand eight. Never saw it. Yeah, it's not very good. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking I'm forgetting a really I'm, I'm the worst movie maker in the world in terms of watching movies <laughs> well, I'm always watching stuff you know I'm always watching our own stuff so I love going to the movies I just don't it's not like yeah. it's a tough thing to do well you don't have a lot of time too if you're working Snowden that was his most recent film yeah which which I actually kind of liked his his jittery distrust of yeah. America kind of sells the project yeah, I'm not sure if I've even seen Snowden. I, I, I might be mixing it. I think I did see it. Like I might be mixing it up it. with uh, mm-hmm. with the documentary. Mm. What was that called? Oh, Citizen Four. Citizen Four, yeah. Yeah. Well, this was the one with Joseph Gordon-Levitt uh, oh, doing the Kermit yeah. voice, which people remember. Right, right. right. You're sort of talking like this, but you, know, you stop worrying about it after two seconds. <laughs> um, yeah, he's... I don't know. He's He's become... He was so quickly such a caricature of himself, publicly, Stone. Stone was, that it's hard to look back and see that he was doing real work, cinematically. Like, JFK is mind-bogglingly complicated, especially once you start explaining to people that it was edited on film, that it wasn't just digitally snapped together. That mm-hmm. stuff was... Yeah, and the, how they mixed was. archives with footage that looked like archives, yeah. and... I know, I was watching it actually from a different perspective this time that I watched it to try and notice, because they really mixed up real archives with, with newly filmed stuff. Yeah, yeah. And it's pretty seamless. So this is where there's a dangerous play with historical facts, because you, you're not sure what you're actually looking at at a certain point. I even saw some other... Like, they really they cast people to be in some of these archives that looked exactly yeah, like yeah, the people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was very well put together. And apparently pretty quickly put together. So that's, it is ex- extraordinary that it was able to do so much. Mm-hmm. And to keep it as... I mean, ultimately, it's pretty tight. People complained about the home stuff, but you sort of need it to get up... To just get the, the home film, stuff for Garrison? The stuff with Garrison. And, yeah. Well, you need it to you know, breathe. It needs to yeah. be spaced there. And you want to get to know the guy's a human beyond... I mean, his humanity, the way that Kevin Costner did it, did come through very clearly in his work, but... To give the guy a little more dimension. Yeah, why are we following him? What's the story here? And what strain is it putting on his own life? Because it's not enough to just say... I mean, you, I have seen movies where they do the, the surface version and it's just, oh, you look tired. Oh, you never, we never see you at home. And those scenes are in here, but they're fleshed out a little more into mm-hmm. the point where you can see them as real people. And Because you see it with the effect that it had on... on I mean... It's a great movie, all around, and I don't mind that it's three hours. It's uh, yeah. it really does have, like, let's forget whether it's real or not, or you know if any of it's truthful. It's a very well told story, what very well acted, very well filmed, composed. Everything's great. Yeah, it like moves like a uh, shot. Have you seen the longer cut? Moves like a shot. That's yeah. what you wrote. <laughs> yeah, I you wrote it in uh, about boost. 
Oh, that's right. Yeah, it was a funny. Uh, I'd never seen that before. I'm like, move like a shot. I use it a lot. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a it's a phrase I've read somewhere once, but okay. it's always stuck with me. It's like it does. I mean, there's there's a a direct trajectory, right? Yeah, you know, like when something is going from from one point to the next, with you can you can pacing is so hard to describe to people, but something that just has no fat on it and goes right through from point A to point B. That's yeah, yeah that's I mean, rare. That's seen with Donald Sutherland. You can go on YouTube and people. I mean, not the only one who loves it because you can oh, find yeah. just that scene on YouTube and it's riveting. Yeah, uh, there was a point the second time I saw the film. There was a point when I realized it was unbroken for about four minutes or something. Yeah, it's a single take and it's just like, oh my god. Yeah. How does he even know this? How can you retain this information as a speech? I had it on VHS and. The second tape started with that. That's scene. right. So it was I could just easily like rewind to the beginning and boop, like great, I'm right into that. It's like my favorite scene. Like you get home at two in the morning, what do you watch? Tape two. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like I got twenty minutes before I'm going to pass out. Let me watch that scene. <laughs> Did you ever watch the longer cut? Yeah. The, the yeah, yeah hour, the director's cut. What is it like two hours and forty minutes? I have no idea how long it is, but that's the DVD that I have. Okay. And when I bought the D, like first oh, I had the VHS right. and the then I bought the release. DVD. I don't oh, no. know. The original but... release was a flipper that was the theatrical cut, and then they released the director's cut in a special 20th anniversary edition, maybe? Perhaps. Like, I had the, the VHS forever, and then one day, I'm like, yeah, I'll buy the DVD. Because I, I don't have VCR anymore. Right. I still have the tapes. So. so was the VHS edition you had pen Shorter. and it was the It was full frame? or Yeah. Because it wasn't released in widescreen for a while. The Laserdisc was in widescreen, I remember. The laser and disc, that's wow. an experience that completely changes the film too because I remember watching the VHS screening copy when they released it on video and it was a nightmare it's just them constantly cropping things out and, and yeah and scanning I didn't have the uh, I mean I was young I didn't know anything about film yet so yeah. I was just watching it <laughs> I didn't have the an eye yet for that kind of stuff so yeah because there's just so much more information in the screen yeah. version like literally not just in the archival material, but even just the way people are standing and who's watching whom and who's talking. I, I, it's really striking. Yeah, I tried watching the uh, the director's commentary. Yeah. That was brutal. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that I've ever listened to it. I'm like, you just shut up and let me watch. I, I stopped after 20 minutes. I'm like, forget it. I'm going to go back and start it again. Is he just narrating the action? or is He's it... just like, uh, oh yeah, that was when this is what happened. And, uh, like, it was just, it was no... Engagement. He would explain things. He was talking like he was talking over the scenes. I'm like I want to see the scene. Shut up. Yeah. But it was. Uh, sometimes they're great. Yeah, I know that feeling though. Sometimes there are commentary tracks where people do nothing but illustrate, and it's just excruciating. Yeah, like they have to do it. They've they've been forced to do it. But yeah. But what you were saying earlier about his, you said that he changed after JFK. Do you know if his producers changed or if his. No, I think he was always working. Because he said with talk radio, he was much more like a solid. Well, it's it's more focused and, and right. practical and, and less. Until Maybe after the Oscar, he, he just had artistic. the pressure. Maybe he just felt pressure after the Oscar that he had to uh, put out a release, like do something small. Like I got to be serious now and do it. Like you feel this yeah. pressure oh. that you got to do things a certain way. Wall Street. That's the one I was forgetting. Oh yeah. And then he went into Wall Street, and that was just. That was after Platoon. Yeah, it's Platoon, Talk Radio, Wall Street, 4th of July. I think that's the order, unless I'm missing another one. I mean, there is definitely a uh, a theme. Yeah, you know? yeah, no, that's the thing. Like, Oliver Stone spent 10 years telling us what was wrong with America from different angles. And, and it's respectable. Yeah. I think it's worth... A lot of people don't, are too afraid to do that. So. He's, well, he definitely set himself a... Yeah, as soon as he had any kind of power that that was what he was going to do. That was his crusade. 
And then you get stuff like Wall Street, Money Never Sleeps, which was just That's not Wall good. Street 2? The second yeah. one, yeah. Where you just realize that, yep, same points, 20 years later, nothing's changed. And maybe that's the point of the movie, but it's also still felt unnecessary and self-indulgent. Well, I feel like a lot of his latest movies have been unnecessary. Yeah. Maybe he just needs money. There's a lot more money in the business yeah, for sure. them today than there was probably back then. He probably likes to work. He I mean, to retire. Can't blame him. Yeah. I mean, I'd be curious to see what he would make if he could make whatever he wanted. Like, did he want to make those movies, or...? I wonder. I mean, I think he wanted to make Snowden. That was a that yeah. was a big deal for him to, that he was able to get Snowden and have him participate and tell. And that I guess story. he's the guy to make all those movies. I mean, George W. Bush as well. He must have. Yeah, I just assume he gets dibs. Like if he if he wants to do something, he has a better chance of securing whatever rights are required. He's probably running around buying life rights to people all the time, just not telling anybody. Yeah, but uh, you know, I want to do this next. I want to do that next. But maybe it'll be about something. Right. And that's it. Like JFK is, even if it's about nothing other than itself, about telling a really interesting story of an investigation of a, of a historical fact which is presumably known to everyone, we still don't know everything. It's one of those things where he's unpacking, he's not just engaging with the event, he's engaging with the collective memory of it and the ways in which America kind of gaslit itself into believing something else maybe right which is totally worth doing and I think he did a great job doing it I mean people don't have to I'm like I'm aware that he's distorted my view of history right so for that reason I'm not gonna tell people what actually happened because I don't know so as long as you I think maintain that awareness then it's fine to make all those movies let people think about things push them to think about things it's fun yeah, I really should be fun this place soundproofed we've never figured it out that's an airplane there's yeah, construction yeah. it's endless well but yeah that brings us to the final question of the podcast which is is there anything of JFK that you have borrowed or stolen or incorporated into your own creative DNA is, do you find it interesting I mean I guess I make documentaries primarily right so my attraction to JFK and I didn't I mean, I didn't know back then that I was going to make documentaries or anything like that. So, But my interest in politics, my interest in truth, if you will, mm-hmm. is what one of the reasons why I make documentaries. And even, I think, the fiction films that... I'm, I've only made one. Boost was my first film as a fiction. Um, but it's trying to depict a certain reality of life in Montreal for young, first-generation Canadians. And, uh, and I'm developing a couple other fiction films that fall in the same they're not big grandiose political situations but they are realities for certain people in uh, like the next film I want to do is a biker Montreal Hells Angels uh, Irish mob uh, shoot up (laughs) but it's a true story yeah there's a a friend's there's a a friend of mine's story yeah so um, I like the idea of showing so yeah so I mean I think my attraction. I don't think JFK influenced me, but my attraction to JFK, to that movie and Oliver Stone's movies, fits into what makes me tick. Okay. Are you more likely to sort of strive to get the details right? Do you think because yes. of that? Yeah. No. Even with this film, like we're writing it now, and I'm working with the same director and writer, and it's my friend's story, so I know the story inside out. So he's writing drafts, and I'm like, 
why don't you try to stick closer to the actual story? <laughs> like, the actual story is really insane. There's no need to uh, embellish things or try to make it poppier in certain areas. Right. Let's, let's try as best we can to honor, to stick with what actually happened. It would be nice to... And then if we have to add little embellishments, then it's fine to, to do, but... I guess I like reality. <laughs> My thanks to Frederick Bobot, whose latest production, Boost, is now available for sale and rental on iTunes. It's a decent little thriller with some very good performances, and you should check it out. Thanks also to Pam Stillman. She knows what she did. You can find Frederick on Twitter at Bunbury Films, all one word, B-U-N-B-U-R-Y-F-I-L-M-S, and you can find JFK on Blu-ray and DVD from Warner Home Entertainment in an extended director's cut, while the theatrical version can be found on iTunes and Google Play. And the original Flipper DVD, but good luck finding that. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner, and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at SomeoneElsesMovie.com. If you feel like leaving a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, that would be greatly appreciated. Every little bit helps, it really does. Thanks for your support, and thanks for listening. I'm afraid you're just too darn loud.